Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Title. This is, um, so, oh, Brendan, are you, who's doing the um, slides? Good luck. I, I might cut and switch today. There's too much in it. So let me just say this. I think Matthew chapter 18 may be one of the most important chapters in all, not only of Matthew, but the Gospels. Oh, yeah, prove it. Okay, so I, I think the Sermon on the Mount clearly is. But after that, there are some things said here that are very unique. They're actually not in the other Gospels. And if you're in the class, you would have got this more clear. We just actually, so I want to commend this class to you. If you could get here at 10, you will just, you'll love the study of the word and you will worship differently in song and the whole thing. So we studied the passage and we just made observations along the way because what I want people to see is when you get up and hear me preach, go like, how do you get that out of there? I mean, I didn't see that. And that's what we do in the class. You just walk through and you, oh, I, 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 could, I could learn to see it that way. So here's the thing is, this whole chapter hangs together. And if you've been around church, I know you've heard portions of this preached, but you've often heard it preached disconnected from something else. And I think it is sometimes, it's misapplied or misunderstood, and you really have to see the whole. So I only get to preach the first 14 verses today. But I want us to see the whole. So we're not going to read the whole thing. And, and Dave, do. Where's Dave? You're, you're going to be reading, right? Is that right? Okay. Why don't you come up to the front row? I get a long introduction. But why don't you come on up here, uh, just being ready to read. So it, that's a very curious title. And I, just want, I think the title comes when you see the whole chapter. And you might read and go, I don't get that. Fine. But as we walk through it, I hope that's what we see. And again, we're only going to see the first 14 verses. So again, where have we been? What's going on? Three things. Jesus is continuing to reveal his identity, also the nature of his kingdom. What's his kingdom like? And thirdly, how his people, I'm going to use the word, how his children are to live toward one another. Those are very intentional words. How his children are to live towards one another. I'll say this now. So there's a certain part of this where people say, ah, oh, we got guardian angels. We didn't even talk about this earlier. I don't think this is about guardian angels. It's better. God's got a whole team of angels helping you, okay? But when he uses the term little ones, he's talking about his followers. In chapters 10 and 11, he's already used that term. We are the little ones. We are his children. That might help later on when we come to the reading. Okay. So we've got to ask, what's this mostly about? What are the themes that keep coming up here all the way through? So here's the setting of this. Dave's going to read this. But the disciples, they have a question about the greatness in the kingdom. And that leads to a very unexpected conversation. Why, why are they asking about greatness in the kingdom? You ever wonder that? Do you know why? Peter's getting a lot of attention lately. You notice this in chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. Remember, who's the guy that walks on the water? Peter. Um. Who's the guy that uh, Jesus asked the question? Hey, who do people say that I am? Da, 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 da. Who do you say that I am? Peter. Oh, you're the Christ, the son of God. 
He says it. And then, of course, Jesus says, hey, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father revealed that to you. He wants Peter to know where it comes from. But it's Peter. And, and, you'll be, and on this rock, I'll build my church. A lot of attention. They go on the, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' whole being, there's only three guys there. His whole being, for a moment, God pulls back the, the, the veil of his humanity and he's glowing. There's, a, there's something of his glory that they see for just a moment, not the full thing. And Peter's like, man, we need to build three like little, little mini temples, little tabernacles here. Peter's always speaking, you know. You remember last week? Last week, there's a guy that comes up to Peter, and he goes like, hey, doesn't your, doesn't your rabbi pay the temple tax? And Peter goes like, Jesus, do we pay the temple tax? Jesus goes like, don't worry, we don't want to cause it. Don't, don't worry, Peter, just go fishing. Take, take a hook in there, go get the fish, you know, the temple tax. So he, Peter goes and fishes. We don't know if the disciples are around, but we know they heard the story. <laughs> Peter's going to make sure they heard the story. He goes fishing. Imagine this. He pulls out a fish, and there's two drachma inside the fish. Jesus not only calms the sea, he tells that, he knows the fish, sw- he probably told him, swallow that. I don't want to eat it. Swallow it. Oh, the fish eats the drachma coin. He's got it. He knows which fish. Fish, go to Peter's hook, pulls it out. Jesus is sovereign over everything, and Peter's getting a lot of attention here. So I don't know if this is why, but I'm guessing, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? I'm pretty sure that whole Peter thing's in the background. What do you think? I don't know. But we see these disciples, and man, they're a piece of work. Aren't we all? So I love their question, because they just, the, the beauty of the gospel is, you know, so you know when people say like, ah, it's all made up or whatever? Not made up by those guys. Because the stories are pretty much told in the raw. It's pretty embarrassing about the disciples. They're just stumbled along people, which is supposed to give people like us hope. They are not perfect. They struggle with belief all the way on. Don't we all? This is meant to show us more how great our Savior is, how kind he is, how merciful he is in calling people like us to himself. And that's really important for us to see. So, Here's the big theme. It's, it's greatness. That's the question. That greatness in Jesus' eyes, it is just not how regular people think. I finally got on my script. I think I got that one. It's just not how people think. It's not how we think. He's saying true humility is greatness. Becoming a servant of others is greatness. Think of that in your marriage or in any relationship you have, that is not our culture. It's not theirs either. But that's what Jesus is saying. So I'm just going to give you the flow of this. We're going to read, Dave's going to read in just a moment, verses 1 to 14. But verses 1 to 6 is humbling oneself is essential for Christ's kingdom. Secondly, Brendan's not doing the slides. You're doing the slides. How are we doing? You, have you ever done this before? Oh, pray for, is it Dan? Pray for, okay, pray for Dan. Uh, humbling oneself is essential for, to Christ's kingdom. The next section is the reality and the seriousness of sin. And finally, we'll end with the Father's heart and seeking straying sheep. That's a model for us. So I'm going to give you three th- or five themes that go through this whole chapter if you're taking notes. Because next week I'm preaching in Sawyer. Mike will be doing it here. 
But that first section is about humility. The next section about the reality and seriousness of sin. This third one, this parable of the sheep, it's about the father's heart in pursuing straying sheep. The next section that people often talk about church discipline, it's about restoration. The goal is restoration. And the final one is about forgiveness. And I'm going to say what we did in Sunday school. The last verse says this. Now there's judgment along there. The very last verse this chapter says, talk, it, it, it's, a, it's a warning, it may feel like a threat. It says, you've got to forgive your brother who sinned against you because the father's forgiven you. You must forgive them as I've forgiven them. So you must forgive your brother from your heart. It's not just words, from your heart. That's the last word in this. And it starts with humility. Why do I show you that? There's some serious passages about dealing with sin. Sin sin affects us all. But we do it with that understanding, a changed heart. And it comes all the way down to the end. I rambled on a lot, but that's the big picture, which is worthy of 10 sermons, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm going to skip the next part. Well, I'll just say this. So the word church is used in this chapter. Uh, It comes in the next section. So again, Matthew has put these, these stories together. These all things that happened. The next two sections that are coming next week, they're not in the other gospels, but Matthew is saying, this is important for the church to know. And he actually uses that word in the text. You know, someone's rejecting a brother that comes to try to help them. If he rejects them, eventually you tell it to the church. Matthew wants us, wants the church to know, wants us to know this is Jesus teaching. So this is strongly has to do with both humility and with sin. The child of God has a changed heart that is genuine humility. Not this fake, you know, the, ugh. Humility is such a word right now. I hate how our culture steals these words and you have the athlete or the politician that tries to, it's all fake humility. The humility of Christ, think of this. We keep the cross up here to remind us. The humility of Christ, we get used to this symbol. What happened here? What is this? The humility of Christ is a savior, God, who, who, who takes on human skin and gives up his life for, who dies for us. That's not true in any other religion. You know, it's offensive to Muslims. He, that's what, so it's the humility of Jesus. When we look at that, if it's a religious symbol, we should say that's like seeing a, a, a noose or an electric chair. It's a place of execution. And that's what he calls us to, to follow him like that. That should, that should hit us pretty serious in that. And it only happens, we're going to walk, he's, he said, this happens by actually being truly changed. So I think this first section tells us much about the father's heart for his little ones. And he's calling us to humble ourselves and deal vigorously with sin. The verses that come next week, 15 on, it continues that discussion by now jumping into the details of discussing sin against one another. Now that may seem surprising, but it happens a lot. Look at the disciples. So it's incredibly practical and it has great implications for us. Okay. That was a long introduction.
Let's now give our attention to God's word. Dave, come and read, and let's us all stand together in honor of God's word. Dave's going to read chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. This is, this is the word of the Lord. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come But woe to the one to whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or with two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray as we stand. Oh, Father, give us this help. To see and hear and understand you and what you have for us. You know everyone here. You know what's truly going on inside of us. Sometimes we don't even know. But Lord, would your word illuminate you, our need for you. And Lord, I pray this. I pray if there's any yet to respond in full faith to you and to turn and give their life to you, this would be a day when the spirit works in that way. And that happens. I pray for those that we just, we want to follow you and we're trying to and all that, but Lord, we need your grace in it all. And that we thank you for this word. It's your word. You've designed it for us today. Let us receive it and have it do its good work in us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, thank you. Like always, it's, there's a lot here. Um, sometimes I try to summarize some things. So I'll do this one. This, if, I, if I had to put this down into one main idea, here's what I'd put it as. Um, the true humility, it guides us in dealing with sin. And so 
when, when we talked in our class, we actually looked at that theme of how sin is actually traced through the entire chapter. But it begins with humility, and I think it's a doorway to understanding all of that. So I, if I was summarizing it, that's what I'd say. But that's, that's what it's about, but so what? If that's what it's about. We always have to know, how are we to respond then? And there's some real verbs here. Now, I think Marion noticed it. So turn and become like a little child. Okay, so, so here's, here's the response, or we, sometimes we call it the transformational intent. Okay, God, God wants to transform us in some way. And this is the intention of how we would respond, is that we would humble ourselves in how we view others and how we aggressively engage in the battle of sin. And that battle has to do with our own and how we help one another. But that gets stronger later on. But I just say this. So we're not distant or aloof from that. It's how we care for others. All right. So we'll back up. And that, that's a summary. Let's kind of walk through this section by section. I think there's a, there's a few stunners in this. But Jesus, as always, he's trying to understand deeper things about what his kingdom is really like how it transforms lives. We understand that it's not what the disciples were looking for. It's not what the um, religious establishment saw. There's something deeper. It is what we need. So first, first section. Humbling oneself is essential to Christ's kingdom. What's the question they ask? Go ahead. What's the question they ask? Who's the greatest, Right? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Is that what Jesus answers first? It's not. And he does. They want to know the greatest in the kingdom. And he says, here's entrance into the kingdom. You don't even get in the door without this. This is what is necessary to walk in the door. And he's talking about humility. They want to know the superstar. Jesus talked about just getting in the door. Declan, are you okay coming up here? All right. Are you okay sitting right there? Awesome. Thank you, buddy. You know what? It's, it's crazy when um, you read the stories, how often there's kids around Jesus. Why is that? I must tell you a lot about him. Uh, I don't have a microphone. I was, I'm just, I'm, I'm totally shooting from the hip, Okay. Do you have a new house? Yeah. Do you like your new house? Yes. What do you like best about your new house? What did you tell me yesterday? That I, we got a hot tub. You got a hot tub. <laughs> I, think every, I think everybody else thinks that's pretty cool, too. A blow-up one. It's a blow-up one. <laughs> it is. It's awesome. Declan is one special kid. Okay, are you okay if I just keep talking for a while and you sit there? Okay, you sure? Yeah. Okay. Um, I almost threw it, yep. Here's why I want to do this, Declan. Because when Jesus was teaching his disciples, I don't know, he probably talked for a while, but he had a kid standing right by him. I always wonder, what did that kid think? So afterwards today, you can tell me what you're thinking while you're sitting up here and watching everybody. Tell me who's not paying attention. So here's what he says. He pulls a kid up there, and the reason why I did that with Declan, and I thought he might do it, it's like, you gotta, see, you gotta see it sometimes to feel what this is like, as Jesus is teaching. And it's probably a boy right about his age. Really, I don't know why 
The boy is comfortable with all these other people. You know, kids are put down in that society. But here's the two things he says as he puts a kid in front of him. This is verse three. Let me read it again. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you're not little, but you're littler than Zion. Yeah. Become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's strong words. They want to know greatness. He talks about entrance. So I want you to consider, there's two verbs he talks about here. So when, when you're just reading the Bible, when Jesus says something, there was an action thing, that's like, here's how I should, so what's he talking about in terms of turning? Well, clearly that's opposite direction, right? So I'm going this way, I'm living my life this way, and he's talking about turning. Same word that's used in terms of repentance throughout scripture, and this is essentially it. It's giving up the right to rule your own life and follow Jesus in every way. It's not turn for a bit, come back. And we all struggle with that, right? We want to rule our own life. We want to be the lead in it. But when he says turn to get in the kingdom, there's something that is all in right here. And he said it in chapter 16, when he's clarified, here's what I came to do. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to be suffering and die and rise again. And Peter goes, no way, Jesus, that's a bad idea. And he rebukes him. But right after that, he says, he's, this is what it means to be my disciple. Unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. So it's this. That, it's the same language he's using. So there's this turning. Friends, everything about following Jesus goes the opposite direction of our hard wiring so we face it all the time. Forgiveness is that way. Forgiveness is not a human idea. I want justice. Think about it. every part of following him is that. Secondly, becoming like a child. You're awesome. Um, now he's not saying to be childish. Become like a child. What's he saying there? Here's what I, I've thought about this a lot. I'm gonna let you sit down in just a moment, okay? You've been, you've been, do you know none of my grandkids could sit there that long? They're so like their mother. I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> You're awesome. Here's what I think is becoming like a child. To become like a child in humble trust and dependence upon the Lord. That's what I think he's getting at. Okay. Thank you. You've been great. I'm going to let you sit down just so you can go to, I know you like your class. See you, buddy. So I want to think about that. Humble, become like a child in humble trust and dependence upon the Lord. So if I'm going to be totally honest, this transition's hard for me. You know why? I like, to, I like clarity. I like knowing what's going to happen. I, don't you? Things, I want to know. And that's not what he's saying. God doesn't give us that. He wants, will you trust me? That's the childlike part. The child, Declan, clear, you can, that, that kid's been loved. You could, that's why cool. That kid's been loved. He knows that he's got, he's, you know, he, there's a settled sense of, of him in there, but you see in that demeanor, there's a humble trust. And, and I think that's a sense of Jesus words, not being childish, but it depends upon the father. So I know a lot of you guys read, um, the Wednesday gems, the emails we got out. I didn't look at our worship guide. Probably was prayer requests. Uh, anybody seen the thing about Kendra in there? So Kendra, Kendra was here, uh, 
yesterday, I know she's taking kids, taking her kids when we did the marriage conference. So Kendra's a wonderful, beautiful, younger high school gal. Um, that's got this lung condition that's undiagnosed. And it's pretty serious. Um, but she's had it for a while, kind of growing. Her dad is a nurse practitioner. So, oh, and he's got like a demeanor that's like so even. He just like, so, so he gets medical things. He's, you know, and so I ran into Kendra. She's cleaning the church up in the other, other campus uh, with a whole, they got a whole team of high school girls that do that. And uh, so we were talking about our, the trip that we just went on because they, they'd done the same trip. And um, Cindy, and I were praying for her. And she just says, uh, oh, so she's on that team that um, is planning to go to India in January. And uh, she says, yeah, I'm hoping to get to go on the, on the trip. I'm having, she's having some tests. They're supposed to find out some tests. And she said, um, yeah, my dad's just playing, praying we get some clarity. That's what a parent would, especially an NP, that's what we'd pray for, right? What's, what's causing this? I want clarity. And I thought about this. And I thought about so many things in our lives. I want clarity. Tell me what's going on. And I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to. Now, by the way, I think it's okay to ask for it. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for it. But Jesus is saying, unless you turn and become humble, like a child, humble yourself like a child. Render. And I, I think the aspect is, it's a humble trust. I don't have clarity. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know you. I know you, my father. I, I trust you. I depend on you. That's hard. But I just, I know this. I don't know what's going on with everybody, but I know this. We all need that. We all situations aren't where we need that. And Jesus is saying, he describes that. Interesting. They ask greatness. He's saying essentially, that's entrance into the kingdom. So don't get lost in the humble word. I just need to become more humble. No, it's, it's, it is humble, but it's trust in him, which takes humility. Proud people don't come to Jesus. Proud people got it together. Proud people are self-righteous. Proud people, I'm pretty good. You could be non-religious and think you're pretty good, whatever that is, okay? Proud people won't come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's Jesus' language in this. He, there's invitation here. And sometimes we focus on our failings and all that. And that's not totally bad, but if it doesn't get to a savior who's calling us to come that we can trust, that's what faith is. That's what repentance is. I'm stopping trusting whatever this is over here. And it's on him all the way. That's the doorway in, but it's also, it'll be the thing we always struggle with. Do I stop struggling with that? No, but that's the following of him. I thought Christianity was a lot easier than that. It's better than that. It's not easy. It's better. So friends, we try to talk about real things. Here. I just be, coming to church isn't about being good. It's about following Jesus and giving up everything for him because he gave up everything for us. And all our lives, we will be learning this. We won't fully capture it, but we're learning it. We'll grow in grace. I'm telling you, that parable about forgiveness we get to next week, it makes absolutely no sense. It's really important for us. So I'm spending some time in this one because this is the doorway into dealing with everything else. It's 
humbling oneself. I should, I should have written in, in trust in our heavenly father. It's essential to being part of Christ's kingdom. And that is what makes us his child. That's the language he's using. It's becoming his child. And that's who the little ones are in this text. So the call is let's live as his trusting children. We love him because he first loves us. I actually think, Dan, that was in that song. Something like that. I don't think it's something I would never have followed you unless you'd love me first. I mean, it was, that was right there. All right. Verse five. Notice how I'm jumping. Verse five. I'm going to read it again. Whoever, oh, this is crazy. So some of these dimensions are just with him. Some of the dimensions are one to another. And like, I'm, I'm okay trying to figure out how to love Jesus. Loving everybody else around me is a little harder. Read verse five. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives who? You have to have your Bibles open. I tricked you. Sorry. It's not up here. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Well, look around the room. Look around the room. Okay, he's talking about the church. He's talking about, you receive one other child of God here. You're receiving who? That's pretty <laughs> crazy. It's not the only place he says it. He says it in Matthew 5. You remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? It's a parable. He's talking about it. And he says, hey, here's the guys that are in my kingdom. You, uh, you visited me in prison. You fed me, you clothed me. And they're like, when did we do that? And he says, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, one of my little ones, you did it unto me. Same. Actually, that two or three are gathered. I'm with you. Same concept. Saul's on the road. He's, he wants to wipe out Christians. He thinks Christians are apostate. He thinks he, like, he, he is a fanatical terrorist, zealot, wiping him out. He's on the Damascus road, persecuting the church. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus speaks to him. This light comes down. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? It's the church. It's not new. But let me say this. So Jesus says it here. That's pretty radical. So think about it this way. How you think of other people here. Probably somewhere along the way, someone has ruffled someone else's feathers, or else you're not talking. If you're doing real relations, somewhere along the way, like that, that person was a little, little bristly or whatever, you know. I'm not thinking about anybody in particular, by the way. Um, it just I mean, it happens. How do I think about them? How do I treat them? Do I think about them like Jesus? Do I love them? like I'd love Jesus. Do I love them like Jesus loves them? Man, can I just tell you that has confronted my heart towards people a lot. Because as you go on this, you know, Peter's going to ask that question, how many times do I forgive my brother? You know, like, this, is there a term limits? It's kind of a lot. That's what he's asking later in the chapter, meaning this. We do sin against each other. It's not excused, but it, it happens. How, how do I deal with one another? Do you see how that's connected to humility? When the doorway's humility and I come and I'm humbled like a child, I'm turning to him, fully to him. I got nothing unless it's him. When I'm coming, this, the Savior gave his life for me and I'm holding on to what kind of a stinking grudge? Because someone was snippy with me? Or, they, or like, how many ways has the Lord showed mercy to me? 
We lose track of that faster than we can breathe. And that's what he's calling us to. But it's like, that's verse five. So whenever I finish this sermon, it won't be done for me. I hope this week you go back and just, if you, I don't know what to read in my devotions. Go back and just read and meditate on chapter 18. Read it slow. Because the end of it comes next week. It all hangs together. And ask God to speak to you about what's going on with you. Verse 16, I mean, so there's one part of receiving the other one. Now the contrast is causing a little one to sin. So I think verses 6 through 9, he's dealing with the reality and seriousness of sin. I'll, I'll be a little shorter on this, okay? But he's really clear on this one um, of the judgment that would be there. Um, causing a little one to sin. Now, let me just say this. A lot of times people think about this being children and sexual abuse and all that. And I think that's in view, but that, that Jesus is saying something bigger here. He's not only talking about literally little Declans or smaller. He's talking about his children in terms of little ones and how we relate to one another and causing, causing another brother or sister to sin is really where he's talking, okay? I mean, that's, that's the bigger thing. Uh, verse 7 I just talk about the reality. Woe to the world for temptations of sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. I mean, just simply. Sin, temptation's a fact. You won't escape it. It's around all the time. But don't let it excuse you for walking in. Oh, I can't escape it, so I might as well. Don't, that, where does that come from? It's not Jesus. He's calling us to walk with him in a life of holiness, but it's like, it's just here. So be careful. You're not the one bringing it. Now verses eight and nine are pretty interesting. So uh, he said the same thing actually in the Sermon on the Mount. And it, speaking personally, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. What in the world's he saying? Does he mean that? He does mean it, but Jesus is always using metaphors, right? I mean, if that was, if that was the rabbis teach with metaphors all the time to make a point. Jesus continually doing that. If it was gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, he, he'd have quadriplegics for, for disciples, blind ones. I mean, we would be. So, but what is he saying? Don't lose a message. Deal with sin aggressively. Know where it comes from. Deal with it aggressively. Let's be honest. We're super soft on that as a culture. We're soft on it. I mean, when I was, so what, um, our Iranian group is paused right now, but I was with Iranian group doing this word training. We bring them out to another country to do the training. I was with Ibrahim. Muslims, I mean, Ibrahim, no left hand. It's cut off. Why? Because I was a thief. I cut it off. A thief. Later, he became converted. Jesus is talking about deal with sin aggressively. Now, when we wrap up, when, so be intentionally engaged. This. When, I, when we come to the end of this, I'm going to come back on this a little bit. I want us to focus on what I'd say common sins that we think don't count. Okay? 
but he's saying, deal with it aggressively. I'm going to skip down. <clears throat> All right, final section, verses 10 to 14. This is the father's heart in seeking straying sheep. It's a model for us. And I said this in the, so I changed this um, yesterday. Yesterday I called it the father's heart in seeking lost sheep. That word's not in the text. It's straying sheep. Is there a difference? It's different. Now I'm going to read it because I think this relates to what Jesus is doing the whole chapter. When we think lost sheep, we think, oh, that's someone who's outside the kingdom. They never responded to Jesus. It's evangelism. Now, I, I, what he's saying, strange sheep, is talking about, this, is, this is one of my sheep, and they wandered. So that happens in church sometimes. Straight up. I mean, I, uh, I, I told the class this. The Lord convicted me on this uh, yesterday. It was probably this morning. Probably it was this morning. But, but seeing it, and this morning I, I texted somebody I haven't seen for a long time. I, just, I know they're not doing well. I don't know where they're at. I just want to talk. I just want to see how they're doing. So I'm going to read it, but this is about the Father's heart for straying sheep. It's a model for us. So let me read it again. Why am I reading it again? Because we're really familiar with it, and we don't catch the weight of it. A seed, let's see, ten, yeah. See that no one... See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. Pause. Sidebar. That's not about guardian angels. Just, I didn't do this this morning. It's not about guardian angels. Um, people take this to be, oh, guardian angels. I just say, God's got something better for you than that. He's got a whole team of angels for you. Now, Hebrews 1 talks about that. He's, he's got those guys sent as ministering spirits. Daniel's in the lion's that He says it sends a whole team. So people have said, oh, they're guardian angels. That, that's not what this is about. It doesn't say that. So it's a little bit of a, a misreading. And I, I just want you to, I think God's got more than that for you. He's got a whole team ready to minister to his children. Sorry, just run by the sidebars. Okay, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he, give me the verb, he rejoices over it, next word, more than over the 99 that never went astray. Come on. So it is not the will of my father, it's not his desire, my father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. So that, that's what I, I, I want us to see in this. This is the Father's heart, even for just one, and he has joy when he finds it and they return. Think about that. Why do I emphasize that? Strange sheep know better. Right? I knew better. It's not that I didn't know. So here's what the, how the evil one works. And I feel shame because I knew better. And then what I do, what did Adam do? I try to hide. I've disappointed him. I try to hide. That's the way sin works in our lives. When we have been unchecked and we got someplace, we're going to tend to hide and all that. This is telling us about the father's heart. So friends, here's what we got to see. What does Jesus say here? He actually says he's got more joy that doesn't make sense, does it? 
We like, <laughs> we, like, we like the compliant kid. This one's always obedient. This one always honors mom and dad. This one, da 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 whatever it is, you know? God's grace is so, you can't explain it. It's so different than us. And he's telling us this story, why? Am I like him? Is my heart like that? Humble yourself, turn, humble yourself like a little child. That's entrance into the kingdom. That, why does he talk about that kind of humility? Because our king is like that. Our king gave up his life and we did not deserve it. We are not better than anyone on this planet. We're not. We're not. We're not. No one. It's God's grace and mercy. Why do I believe? Why do I believe and my brother doesn't yet? And we're raised in the same family. I have no idea. It gives me hope to continue to talk to him, to pray and, and, and for him. And why? I don't, we're not better than anybody. And we have to know that. And we have to be humbled like a child. The father has great joy in returning stray sheep. All right, let me wrap up. I'll be quick on this one, but just think, so I want to think on two things applicationally. One is, um, I want to talk about sins, um, ways we could cause others to sin. And I want to talk about the father's heart. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to be quick. Um, oh, <laughs> reading my notes here. So gossip. We all know who's got a problem with gossip. What's gossip? So gossip's this weird thing. We like think it's always other people, but you could talk about it with your words. You talk about it with your thoughts. It's just, it's, it's when I'm repeating something that's negative about somebody else, you know? And it's just super common, and it gets let go all the time. But, you know, if you start, hey, did you know, da, 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 da. social media is not helpful, by the way, on these kind of things. Because, <laughs> hey, did you know? Or what about? No, it's always prayer requests, okay? So let me just say this. Here would be a word. But, but when one does that, it tends to encourage another person to do that. So in Scripture, it's clearly a sin. It's just one of the ones we don't think counts that much. So I thought, by application, let me take some things that are like more often. So if you ever get to a point, say your conversation, whether it's your words or someone else's, you're like, ooh, this is probably like in that gossip category. Just say, hey, let's, especially if it's a brother or sister, just go like, hey, can, can we just stop this right now? How about if we pray without judgment? And we, we, we pray for such and such. I'm telling you, Cindy and I are learning this rhythm. It, we're, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. It could be a need with our kids. Need, and from, we've just been turning the conversation to prayer like all the time. It's really worshipful. It really puts our perspective the right way for God's here instead of talking about stuff, you know? Um, so, but I'm saying this regarding gossip. If you would do that, just stop it. There's no judgment. We got, let's just say we're all tempted. And don't so say, hey, you shouldn't talk like that. Don't, don't say that. Say, I talk like that, so, you know, just stop. It's, hey, let's, it's okay if we pray for them right now. When I was a teenager, I, I had trouble with exaggerating, which is what? Embellishing truth. It's not true. It's lying. Okay. But I didn't see it that way. Exaggerating something. 
come back from his camping trip or what I did. So I remember when the Lord convicted me of it. And I, and I had to see it for what, that's lying, exaggerating is. And when he brought conviction, I just like, Lord, help. I mean, such a pattern, it was hard to break. And I, rem- I don't remember the event or who I was talking to, but I remember this moment where I'm in the middle of telling the story and I told it bigger than it actually happened. And the Holy Spirit just reminded me. And I'm like, I, I stopped. Just said, I don't know why I said it. That, that actually didn't happen that way. Here's how it happened. And let me tell you, that broke the power of it. Now, there's some other times they struggle, but I mean, that, that broke. I remember talking to one of my kids that way in a significant moment. Why do you tell you that illustration? So let's say it's gossip. Let's say, I don't, man, I'm, I'm loose with my tongue or don't excuse what it is, okay? Well, I'm just trying to break a prayer. Don't excuse it. Ask the Lord, help you. what is it really? And then when it happens, if the Holy Spirit's present, you, he'll, he'll show, he'll sometime, it, it'll come in. Or maybe it's after the fact and you can go back afterwards and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong in that. And t- that's, hum- that's humbling oneself. Dealing with sin is humbling. So it's interesting the categories that he starts with is ourselves. Cut that off. I'm using cut it off, lang- I'm, I'm illustrating cut it off language with, I'm, it's embarrassing to admit what I just, stop it. Then turn it into prayer. Does that make sense? I'm just giving you a real life illustration of that principle that Jesus says. And also, God will break the power. So we all have different things. I just picked one that I thought, let's pick one that we put lower on the bar, happens more, and I could use a bunch of those illustrations that I don't have time for. There could be lots of things. So if you just ask God, what's, what's some of the stuff in my life? And try to pick, what are the ones that we don't think count much? Because they, they tend to do things in others. All right, quickly. Um, seeing the Father's heart. I mean, so clearly, he loves, to, he loves to seek out strays. And I just have to ask that. Is that what I desire to be? Is that what I desire for Jesus to do in me? Because this is the call to humble ourselves. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom. I'll end this way again. If you've not yet come to the point of believing enough to turn to him completely, I just want to say to you, what's keeping you? Don't let it. The world will suck you down. You don't think you're okay enough without him. You're not. That's the evil one wants to mask that. There has to be a point of coming to like, man, I, I need you and turning. If you have questions about that, any of the pastors, Justin, we'd love to talk to you about it more. It's the biggest deal. Just come. So I just don't delay. And for those who I have and I struggle, absolutely. We, so listen, we all struggle with this. We all have categories, situations to grow in. How do I, Cancer health situations, marriage struggles, relationship struggles, struggle with sexual fidelity, depression, all that. How? He's just, he just wants us to turn to him. I'm not trying to be simplistic on it, but that's what he wants with a humble, dependent trust. 
I, I think Justin framed it up very well when he does announcements. So I'm going to say it this way. This is for us as a church to care about. This is not just about you. And the next verses are how we do this together. I didn't get that far. It just didn't go that far. But that's where we want to be. Let's pray together. Lord, I know there's a lot here, and I know I spoke widely over this, but I, I, I'm, I'm simply going to trust this, God. I know you're present. I know you speak. And I know you've been speaking through your word in the last minutes we've had together. I, I pray this simply, Father. You, who are the only one that knows each one here intimately, Lord, you enable us to hear what it is and where it is specifically where we need to say yes to you. And Lord, I thank you that we can ask that, that I can ask that right here. I can ask it in faith because I know that's what you love to do. See it in that parable of the sheep. So thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thanks for who you are. Thanks for what you are doing and what you will do. We love you because you first loved us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.